Man, Frank, sometimes you have so many packages on your front door that I get nervous. Yeah, well, <laughs> the office move situation means I have no idea where to ship things. Brandon, you take them in. Yeah, come on. You have keys. <laughs> Just open the door and be like, hey, Amanda. The last time I saw, I saw like six packages on your door. It was like yesterday or the day before. You two were having dinner. I could see you through the window <laughs> having dinner. Oh, and, and we watched him put those packages down and we said, thank you. And I was looking, looking at all those packages and I was like, oh, God, he's going to steal those. <laughs> They're going to get stolen. So every one of those packages is like 30 issues of Game Pro from the 90s that were right. just grabbing yeah. for the blind boxes. So. I'd like to see someone try to steal those because they're all going to be really heavy. Around here, the caliber of person that is going to steal stuff off of your porch is kind of the the person who is on the drugs actively mm -hmm. at that time. And so uh, I feel like they would have no trouble lifting a big thing and carrying it away. And you know what people who are on the drugs need? Vintage reading. That's yeah, right. that's true. Yeah. Usually when they pick them up and run, they go, drug power! <laughs> run. That's right. I know, without a doubt, that insert credit is light! This is episode 205 of Insert Credit, a relentless conveyor belt of video game topics our panel must address in no more than six minutes or face the penalty of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and if I were being introduced as a new Super Smash Brothers character, the text under my character model would say, Alex Jaffe makes the list. Okay. I don't think I've ever watched a Smash Bros. reveal, so... Uh, they okay. usually have a cute little, uh, like, <laughs> this character has debuted uh, on the thing, but it's like yeah. a pun on a thing that they do or aren't All right. for. So my name is Frank Cifaldi, and if I were on one of them Smash Brothers videos and I got introduced and they had to put, like, a line under my name, it would be like, and here's Frank Cifaldi. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah, because you want to hype the kids up. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like you, you want them to be like, yeah, that is cool. That is yeah. pretty cool. You're, you're priming them. Exactly. And, 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 you know, in that reaction video when they're like crying, yeah. uh, I want them to cry and go, that is cool. <laughs> okay. I'm Brandon Sheffield. And if I were a Smash character being revealed, uh, it would say something like, he doesn't want to be here. Because <laughs> I Brandon don't like Sheffield. it wasn't supposed to be here today. How did he get in the building? Because I don't like Smash so much. Is one of Not so much. I'm, I'm kind of mad because that was pretty close to what I was going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, anyways, I'm Kelsey Lewin. I'm back. And if okay. I was a Smash character being revealed, I would. it would be like, Kelsey Lewin doesn't want to fight. <laughs> pretty good. fight. <laughs> no attacks. Just run away. Yeah. Your strategy is to wait out the timer. Yeah, my moveset is all just like avoiding stuff. Mm -hmm. I can like jump really far, really high, get to the yeah. corners where they can't hit me. Right. Uh, you're the opposite of Chunky Kong in that way. That was a reference to the DK rap. Anyway, uh, I haven't done one of these in a while, but the topic came up on the Insert Credit forum. So previously on Insert Credit, mm. episode 64, October 9th, 2013, Naked Chess. Does the intended commercial reach of a game have any meaningful impact on it as a creative product? Can you read that again? 
Yeah, well, I, my brain Does just the like... intended <laughs> commercial reach of a game have any meaningful impact on it as a creative product? So, like, intended audience? The, yes, people target intended audience? No, I think it's like, you gotta put out a new Halo, and that means you gotta, you gotta sell it to at least 20 million people, or else you've failed. Is it just like, if it's AAA, is it not... Do people design games to try to make them sell copies? I think the answer is probably <laughs> yeah. Yes. The answer is yes, but they does do that. that change its uh, creative value? Creative value was that the question? Uh, the question is: Is it had a meaningful impact on it as a creative product? So I would think: uh, Does reaching for popularity affect the quality of a video game? I mean, I think it does. Why is this hard? Yeah. Uh, to yeah. It probably affects the vision. It sounds like it's asking about like if it affects the like creative integrity or vision. Am I am I interpreting? You're in the right ballpark, I believe. Well, okay. I think that like to go back to Halo or something. They're making a new Halo, or we could even say uh, say you're adding something to Fortnite, Mm -hmm. and Among Us is popular, and then you decide you want to just rip off Among Us directly. Then you will do it because you want it to be popular and you're trying to capture the entirety of that audience so i mean there's that but there's also like you might want to try something really super interesting or different or weird and then some higher up might shoot that down because it's too out there and you need to capture a large swath of the hardcore gamer market so you know nathan drake can't have like a kitten feeding simulator inside of the next uncharted not for the what the core audience wants i'd, I'd play i that. also think that sometimes like Things can be really interesting ideas, but objectively not fun. Like, I think of Shenmue or something, right? Mm-hmm. There's interesting ideas in there that are very much not fun, but kind of interesting. Like raising the kitten, yeah. Yeah. You can't have too many of those in a game where it doesn't sell, I guess, is where I'm leaning on this. I don't know. This just feels like you can apply this to any creative product. It's like, yes, decisions are made that maybe affect creativity because they are thinking of how they need to sell this thing. That is any movie that's in like a regular theater. Right. <laughs> that's any game that's in a box. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm trying not to like dismiss this question, but it's like, yeah, duh. Next. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I'm surprised that it came up again on the forums because I don't find it particularly engaging as a thought experiment. But um, to take it in kind of another direction, Far Cry 6 has a, a cockfighting mini game in it where you can make these chickens like bloodily, terrifyingly fight each other. No, I don't like that. No, no, it's bad. And a friend of mine on Twitter was saying, you know that this is something where like some higher up thought they had a great cool idea and then they made all these other people do it because what are they going to do, not do it, lose their job? But he was saying, like, I can't imagine anybody wanted, anybody working on this wanted. Um, so it's sort of almost the opposite thing, because, I mean, it's already being viewed resoundingly negatively by everybody that is talking about it. And uh, in the, the discourse on that is going to stay probably firmly in the negative. But famous actor Giancarlo Esposito is it? Yeah, I guess that's, is he playing one of the chickens? Uh, yeah, did, did... There was an ad going around that, like, literally had the text "Famous actor Giancarlo Esposito plays the villain in Far Cry 6. Uh, this is this is a total sidebar, but we we had Vince on the show relatively yeah. recently, and um, I think it's okay if I say this generically. He's he's doing an a song for an anime, mm-hmm. so I think I can say it. And one of the emails that he received from the people making the anime 
was, we are so pleased to work with the world famous Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if they say it, it's true. If they say it's true, I was telling him he should get that on the on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, on the website, World Famous Vincent. And we should go in Twitter bio, right? A- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, World Famous Vincent. I, I got us way off the topic here. <laughs> Thank God, that's all I can say. A massive Twitch leak recently exposed how much money every streamer was making as a partner from Twitch. How would the game industry change if everyone's salaries were completely transparent? First of all, if you got a massive Twitch leak, you should uh, see the <laughs> That's true. Um, if everyone's salaries were visible to everyone, I think it would be positive. On uh, Game Developer Magazine, for like 15-something years, we did a Game Developer Salary Survey. And it was imperfect and kind of self-selected, so it's not like we got real data. It was It was data that was submitted by people. Like, here's what I make. So... It was on them to be honest and all that kind of stuff. But even with all of its flaws, it was the only thing that we had to go on for like, how much should I make as a junior designer, as an intermediate designer, as a lead, you know, as a contract artist, whatever. There is no industry standard for that. And just having that stuff written down was like, we'd get emails from people saying, I got a raise because you did this article. <laughs> like I went to my boss and was like, this is the average of what people are making, and I'm making five thousand below that. And then their boss would, well, okay, I guess we'll we'll match it at least, or something like that. So I think we are too Dog's afraid going of crazy over public salaries over there. Yeah, he loves public salary. He's into <laughs> it. We are too afraid of talking about how much we make. Um, but money is like, I mean, we live in a capitalist society, unfortunately, and we need money to live. And it's it's actually more helpful if we share that information with each other. Then if we don't, because then we actually have like a place to talk about things like it's ultimately our bosses that want us to not not talk about money with each other, because then we'd we'd have some idea of what's going on behind behind the curtain there. So we should be sharing our salaries with each other. Uh, Everyone at Necrosoft makes the exact same amount. Uh, Same with the Video Game History Foundation. It's true. (laughs) And also our salaries are public record. So that's uh part of being a non-profit. Well, they will be next year, folks. We haven't we haven't quite filed in a year where we made money, but uh That's true. Yeah. But there hasn't been a year we've had to file where we've made any money, but it's coming. It's coming up. Yeah. Coming right up. <laughs> Look for the <laughs> news reports. <laughs> filling those magazine subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything you said. I think it's positive. I think that it requires a little bit of education of um understanding of like how much it costs to live in different places in the U.S. Because I'll often see people say, like, game journalists are rich. And it's like, well, no, that's actually incredibly poor in the Bay Area. That is that is not enough to, to live on. There's some of that, I guess, that can be a little confusing. But yeah, that's really tricky, actually, because, for example, in Necrosoft, we have we have me in the Bay Area. And then we have people in Ireland, people in Slovakia. We've got people in Kansas, North Carolina. All of those are very different places in terms of cost of living and i'm the boss but when you compare the salary to the cost of living i'm probably making the least money like if you look at it that way uh, and then the, the folks in ireland are making the second least it's kind of strange and i don't that's a p- piece of the puzzle that i have not yet figured out uh, especially with giving everyone the same 
salary. If I want a raise myself, then everyone else gets a raise as well, which means that the cost to, uh, for us to develop a game dramatically, because now everybody's salary is going. It's not, it's not a perfect solution. But it's better than what we got in movie. Yeah, yeah. And that's something. Yeah, we should make it public, but probably not against our will. That's probably a bad idea to just go <laughs> ahead and massively expose what everybody yes. partnering with Twitch is making without like asking them. Oh yeah, I didn't even talk about that part. It's it's yeah. it's not great for that to all be to all be leaked out. And um another thing I learned from this, which um probably an another reason I'm not rich, is I, I've literally never heard of any of these people. <laughs> like I've heard of not a few. one time. They're all making so much money and some games probably live or die based on whether they're being streamed by these people that I've never heard of. Maybe we should get some of them on the show. Get some streamers uh, on the show. Why not? I don't know. Yeah, we, we can think about it. <laughs> it's how people engage with video games in this decade. Speaking of which, last week's winner, Ash Parrish, uh, asks a related question. What would be the most interesting thing to be revealed if your gaming platform information was leaked? Oh, no. How do we define our gaming platform? And is it it'd like... be like your Xbox Play history or whatever, right? Yeah. Like it'd be everything you bought and your your playtime and which titles, I would think. Right. Um, I have a lot more solitaire <laughs> on the like I think mostly on my Switch, but sometimes I just want to play solitaire. I don't know. Yeah. It's somewhat surprising, but it's like Oh, that's interesting. It's not like, wow, shocking. <laughs> no, it's not, I can't think of any like real shocking ones, but that's the first one that came to my mind. Because yeah. it's like, if you look at my playtime for Switch games, it's like solitaire is up there. Your play history is identical to my 96-year-old grandma. <laughs> I think uh, my purchase to play history would be not that interesting, but slightly interesting because I buy a fair number of games on Switch, but I think I pretty much only turn my Switch on purchase games <laughs> then i think I, that's normal i think that's I like literally normal people just buy games and don't play them yeah yeah but then if you look at my playstation 4 you you'll see that i have very very low number of purchases like i buy a yakuza game and then i play it to completion and then i get another yakuza game and i play it to completion on the playstation i've got kind of like a one-to-one -one purchase to finishing game ratio where on the Switch, it's more like a one to zero purchase to finish ratio. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't have any like, oh, that's interesting that he bought that game. So I, I just... I don't think I'd be surprised by you buying anything, really. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, any surprised. of us are doing research. So like... Right. Sure. Yeah. You can literally write off any game you buy as, this is what I do. I do that, in fact. Oh, I never tried to do that. Maybe I could. Um, Brandon kind of took my answer, but not really, which is, if anything... If you looked at my Steam library, it'd be like, oh, well, first of all, this is a fake gamer boy because he doesn't <laughs> play games very often. But second, man, he really plays his games when he buys them. He tries to get his money's worth and he and he really gets into it. Um, except Cyberpunk. Boy, that guy really just did bounce right off of Cyberpunk after two hours. Waiting for all the glitches to get patched out. No, it's just not a good game. <laughs> the glitches were fine. Ran games fine. I've played most on Steam are... Street Fighter 30th Anniversary and Samurai Showdown Neo Geo Collection. Oh, baby. I've got about 140 hours on Mega Man Legacy Collection. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Games that one has worked on have, have very high playtimes. I think the games I have the most time on are Mountain Blade Warband and Crypt of the Necrodancer. Mm, yep. Those are two games. Two games. 
<laughs> Raves Alex Jaffe. I, if if there was some sort of meta platform for all of my gaming life, I think that would be kind of interesting because people could see like, oh, he's he really got into Sega CD this month and just played a bunch of Sega CD games and uh, broken up by a PCFX game for some reason. That's uh, I I wish I could see that from I don't know certain kinds of people like what what's uh um john lenneman playing daily sure. monthly to do that df retro stuff or whatever that i'd, I'd be interested well then we'd know his, his videos in advance he'd dun, be dun, dun. sunk mm. we could see it the month after so i don't know where to fit this into the conversation but just thinking of game platforms and 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 play history and stuff uh I really liked on the 360 the option to download every Xbox Live Arcade demo automatically as it came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not something that anyone has anymore. You can't just auto-download demos. I used to turn on the Xbox 360 and be like, what's this trash I have now? And I would actually play the demos because I didn't have to seek them. They were just there. There's probably too many. Yeah, I think I'd try a lot more games if they were just presented to me and I didn't have to do anything. I think what happened was there was that one year where every iPhone automatically got that U2 album on there. (laughs) And then after that, people were like, that's it. We're done with uh, giving people free content. All they're going to do is be mad about it. I forget who said this, but someone on my Twitter feed uh, described U2 as uh, turning out to be a computer virus the whole time. Yeah. uh, I think that's the best way to think about that situation. Yeah, it makes sense, too. My buddy Randy was... Your buddy Randy Pitchford. Well, yeah, Randy Pitchford. No, it was not Randy Pitchford. The uh, Gearbox clown. He was talking about U2, and I was like, yeah, I'm not really, not really. And he's like, yeah, I guess they're a band that you either love or hate. I was like, well, I mean, no offense, but I, I feel the opposite. I feel like it's a band that is impossible to love or hate. It's just like having an opinion about it. It's not something. It's just you too. Right. I, I completely agree. I've never had an opinion about you too. Yeah. yeah. They're on the radio. They're in target. I disagree because <laughs> I used to work in offices with people who loved you too. And they, they fill those stadiums. They're just normies that you don't interact with. Well, I mean, yeah. So that's the thing. Like normies, do they really have opinions? They do. Yeah, I think they go to the U2 concert to hear the hits that they know. They yeah. live their normie lives and have their normie dreams. I don't know. I don't think it's really an opinion if it's just like, I know this. No, I, don't, I think the thing with U2 is that you either love them or you don't care. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. All right. that. I mean, you do have to purchase a concert ticket. Yeah. Like that is. You can't just wander in. U2 isn't just happening to them. They have to seek that out. But I feel like to some extent it is just happening to them because at least in the 90s, it was just it was everywhere. But I also feel like that, that that's an Aerosmith like band, right? Yeah, Where yeah. it's like no one's like, oh, I love listening to this whole album. <laughs> you know, It's like, no, they they know the hits on the radio and they don't think about them. And if they're coming to town, it's like, oh, we could go see them because I know what that is. I think there's got to be Aerosmith fans. Yeah, they're out they? there. Do you think there's an Aerosmith fan who likes like every album? You know what I mean? Like, do people who like oh, 70s be. Aerosmith like 2000s Aerosmith? Oh, I'm sure there are there's Aerosmith guys. That's a different band. Yeah, yeah but there, there's so many millions of people that that are Aerosmith listeners. There's at least a couple thousand people that are like, yeah, I like Dream On and Pink is my favorite color. Right. <laughs> Speaking of indifference, or lack thereof, what is the most excited you've been by a video game as an adult? Yakuza 0. <laughs> Yakuza 0 sure. or Deadly Premonition, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those two. 
I mean, what excited you about it? Not like, huh, this is pretty good, but like, whoa, I can't believe this. Well, for Yakuza, it was definitely like, to me, it felt like someone figured out multiple balances. One is between interesting, compelling main story and side quests that I can enjoy that don't make me feel like I don't care about the main story. Even though they're so separate, they still supplement my understanding of the character and my enjoyment of the world. Like in in Fallout 3, when you come out of the vault, like, I gotta go find my dad. And then you just never deal with finding your dad ever again, pretty much. <laughs> like, that story's gone, and now I'm just hunting around. Yakuza Zero did that, and it also had a good balance between number of things you can do and places you can go in a world with also, like, understanding a place and like having it feel like a vibrant place without being able to literally do anything. They didn't they didn't even pretend that you could go anywhere, do anything. But there were so many things that you could do that it felt like this lively place without having to pretend that it was like go in every door, open every cupboard. Does this question mean that you had to have been excited about it like when it was announced or like when you started playing it? I was intentionally leaving that question open for either interpretation. Okay. Because I don't feel like I get insanely excited about new releases anymore, but then sometimes a game will really, really surprise me and delight me. And actually, uh, I haven't played Yakuza 0 yet, but 7 was one of those for me, because I never, I just never played the series at all. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is great. How come everybody told me about this and I didn't listen to them? <laughs> well, guess here's here's a nice uh, a nice surprise for you. That's the worst one. You got a lot of good ones to look for. The forward. worst one? Yeah, you got a lot of even better. I ones. really doubt that. I yeah, that can't be true. Well, I mean, on certain vectors, it is. Um, better, it's worse than Yakuza Two. Yes, my opinion. I'm I'm trying to think around this question and think to like moments of excitement that weren't necessarily owning a game trying to make this a little more interesting um and one that comes to mind for me was the e3 where they had scribble knots for the first time Mm. Um, oh yeah there wasn't a big booth for it there was like a kiosk and whatever the publisher was i don't even remember it was a word of mouth game during e3 where right every journalist yeah every journalist was talking about it i heard about it from Brandon and uh, uh, former Instacratic guest Matthew Kumar, and just you know hearing them describe it and being like, that can't be real. Yeah, it <laughs> felt like an impossible miracle, right? And then going to play the game and it's like this, wow, this is real. And then the game came out and I played it for like an hour and was done. But you know, but but that that excitement in that moment was uh, some of the biggest excitement I had as an adult. Yeah, with a video game for sure. Like that just was like. That brought me back to the childlike wonder of uh, not understanding how video games worked and thinking there was like a, a, a an actual world in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great one for that. That, that one felt like it, you know I was not in the industry or anything at the time. I was I think I was in high school, but like the possibilities felt endless in that, and that was really cool. It was like how how is it even possible that this is what it's describing? Like, yeah, how can I do this? And you know, I kept trying to trick it. Like mm-hmm. I think probably everyone had that moment with Scribble Notes oh, yeah. where it's like, like I'm gonna stump it, and like it was harder to stump than I felt like it should have been. I remember at E3 that Matthew Kumar did break it a little bit with Sparrow, and uh, it spawned a bird, but the the graphics were wrong, and they're like, oh yeah, Sparrow's a, a bug. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then Matthew said, "No, Sparrow's a bird." <laughs> Whoa. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind for me is just that first year of the DS was like the last time that I loved a console specifically because I'm like, oh my god, there's like a lawyer game and a doctor game and a Mario game, and it, and it just felt very or like Field of Magic was a launch game, and it was really yeah. weird, and it just felt like the first and maybe last time that like a console's library had a specific personality that that went through all the games somehow well that reminds me of my real answer now which is playdate yeah yeah which is just like a a pitch so interesting and strong that i'm excited and hooked i am genuinely excited for that because it's not something that's been done before well, that's nice to hear. I'm not excited about it. I wish I could be excited about it. I also just remember that I was an adult during the release of Katamari Damacy. And, uh, that was pretty exciting, yeah. You had to, like, search for the one GameStop that would carry it because it was such a low print run the first time around. Yep, found a second copy and I just bought it immediately because I'm like, someone will want this. And yeah. yeah did end up finding it for someone. But. I had a friend who wanted me to play that so bad that for my birthday, he got me Katamari and a PlayStation 2 to play it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. That was a pretty good day for me. I am taking an international flight to London tomorrow for my sister's wedding. Okay. So I uh, got to thinking, and let's try to keep COVID out of this. Good luck. Who would be the worst video game character to sit next to on an international flight? Leisure suit, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I was one. just going to go with, like, the largest possible video game character, like Kraid. A, a Colossus from <laughs> Shadow of Colossus. Not going to get any legroom there. Yeah, I don't think they're going to let him on the plane. Karnov. <laughs> Karnov could get on the plane, though. I don't know. Is that part of the question? They have to physically fit on the plane? I think so. I feel like if they can't be on the plane, you don't have to worry about them being a passenger. <laughs> I don't know video game rules. <laughs> you know passenger airliner from like your typical airplane company okay so existing real world yeah existing real world airline. airplane okay yeah. um there's gotta be characters that are just on fire all the time right mm, yeah yeah all right i don't want to get too weird but um that uh that eugene jarvis game wouldn't want to oh, be on tar target terror target terror you wouldn't want to be on the plane with any of the villains with the, the terrorists that are doing 9-11 yeah they're doing oh, 11 on the plane that's a little dark that uh, is, little... yeah maybe you should not have said that well, i mean I, i'm over here trying to think of the funniest clay fighters character to answer <laughs> with and you're like yeah 9-11 would be kind of wrong. <laughs> i don't know is the clay soft might be like kind of nice to rest on they're all jerks <laughs> probably look at that, that like snowball guy with a backwards baseball cap who's yeah just probably gonna talk in memes at you I was speaking of which I was thinking about which which would be the worst like chatty catchphrase character to be into some kind of a gex or buzz. It's, yeah, I was gonna say it's gex. Mm, maybe or I mean Blasto's really annoying. I know Phil Hartman's dead, so mm. anything he does is like sacred, but Blasto's really annoying. I feel like Gex would try to get like a mystery science theater thing going with like whatever movie was playing. But they'd all be like 90s references. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd be the one who's just like clearly bothering the flight attendant trying to like get attention, yeah. basically turning everything into a joke or a reference. Mm -hmm. He'd be the guy you roll your eyes at, but I don't think he's the worst person to sit next to. It's just like, oh, God. This guy's on the plane. Like, there's a fly in my salad. More, please. <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't just, like, answer for which drink he wants. 
you know. Yeah. Yes. He'd, yeah. He'd... Any time he opens his mouth, it would have to be like a reference or a, a quip or a snark or something. Be like, oh, I'd like a a good Sauvignon Blanc, you know. Right. <laughs> something like that. Uh, yeah. Do you want the white or the red, sir? Right. Oh, could you check in the cellar? <laughs> yeah. Gex. Friggin' Gex. Conquer and his bad fur day. Yeah. It'd be pretty annoying. Well, okay. Is like he Gex, but having swearing. a bad fur day before the flight or not? Does it, does that, or does it make a difference for you? I think, I don't know if it makes a difference. I think he's still just swearing Gex. Okay. Uh, regardless of his bad fur day. Yeah. And as, as everyone who's been up in a plane knows, the, the likelihood of getting weird staticky hair is pretty high. Oh, mm. yeah, that's bad. So he probably would have a bad, bad fur mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if, there, if there's like a specific combination of characters that would make them both even worse. Oh, that, like you're sandwiched between yeah. in a row of three. Yeah, exactly. Well, while you're thinking about that, uh, one that I had in mind was... Uh, there's an enemy in the ghost house in Mario 64 that's just a big eyeball that yeah. follows you. So I don't want to sit next to an eyeball that's staring directly at me the entire time. Who do you think's going to play the eyeball in the Mario? Oh, that's a good question. Probably Vin Diesel, I think. The ghost of Chris Farley. I was going to say Bobby Moynihan. I don't know who that is. Yeah. All right. So that's probably the right. Kelsey, do you know who that no, is? No, I also, I don't know anybody. <laughs> he was a Saturday Night Live. If it's after the 70s, I have no idea who's on that show. All right. I think it's going to be Vin Diesel uh, reprising his uh, Iron Giant voice um, as the eyeball, telling Mario that uh, he's not a gun. That sounds pretty good. I saw this t- trending Twitter. It wasn't actually trending. It was like a sponsored Twitter thing that was like, some man, they used the man's name, um, is leaving Saturday Night Live and... I felt like a grandpa going, who? <laughs> like, I'm, I don't freaking know who any of these people are. I don't care if they're leaving Saturday Night Live a show or what. Yeah. You, know what you don't I mean? know any Twitch streamers either. You just like talking about how you're old right now, I guess. Yeah, Brandon, this is not a good look. That's uh, fine. <laughs> I mean, okay, I don't, I think that Saturday Night Live is for old people first. There like, you go. I, I don't think it's like a whole bunch of cool teens are watching Saturday Night Live on the television. I mean, they're trying. They're recruiting a bunch of, like, TikTok people for the new season. Sounds like a winner. Is that right? Yeah. That's really smart, actually. Like that guy that does the Scooby-Doo Trump impression? He's on there now? Oh. Those well. are words. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I, I know who that is. <laughs> oh, that guy's funny. That's I good. know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> He's a funny guy. It's because his TikToks get on Twitter on my old man platform. So. Mm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll be right back after a quick break. really like Elon Musk, which usually wouldn't bother me, but the way they describe him is exactly like the phrase that they use to describe me when oh, I was no. a kid. Oh no. So like they <laughs> like the same things about Elon Musk that they like about me. And that kind of makes me feel creepy. They see a little bit of you in Elon yeah. Musk. That's so sweet. They're like, he, he really thinks outside the box. And like that, that's the thing they used to say about me. And it, it makes me feel strange. Hopefully it's a different box. Yeah, your, yours runs off of uh, traditional fossil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I feel so much better now, Frank. Welcome back to the Insert Credit Show. Time for us to dive headfirst into the dirt bag. The old EB. This is the part of the show where we take a question submitted by one of our donors at uh, patreon.com slash insert credit, where you can become a monthly member for a pittance 
a month for the privilege of accessing our question form where you can submit questions like these, uh, where you can get access to the episodes yourself one day early. One day early? One day early. And wow. even exclusive bonus episodes every month and other uh, neat content as we see so fit to release. This week's question comes from Larry Bang, who asks, which video game or moments in video games have surprised you with the feeling of inhabiting a specific character in a specific place? What? Larry Bang. Larry Bang. <laughs> These are such complicated questions yeah. this week. What? <laughs> I'm just, I wasn't even listening. I was just thinking about Larry Bang. Um, Larry, Larry Bang's a good name. So it, you inhabit a specific character in a specific place and it surprises you? Yeah. yeah. That's the question. Okay. That it like gives you that feeling. Uh, he provided examples. This Great. Good. Bang. Good. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, going through Kamurocho as Kiryu or being Samus inside of her suit in Metroid Prime or grooming your horse in Red Dead Redemption where you're like feeling yourself in the place of this character. I think uh, the problem is I've never, ever, ever felt like I was in the video game. And, I, you know, I've played VR games and stuff, but even... Oh, come on. That's not the question. It's you, you role play when you play a game. You get into the character a little bit. I don't think that that's true. I mean, like, I think that's impossible to not be true. Really? Yes. I, I don't. Otherwise, like... it's just like you just like floating boxes on your screen and <laughs> like Twitch react to things. I'm controlling like... another character. I'm not you. You enjoy games based on their characters and premise. Yes, like, but I'm not them. If Valis wasn't a woman, you wouldn't play it. So you clearly have some level of enjoying the role playing aspect of games. I don't think that's the that's role playing. That's like I'm rewatching True Detective right now. I enjoy it, but I'm not any of those characters. I'm enjoying watching those characters do stuff. Yeah, but that's a passive relationship. Whereas in a video game, you are controlling this character. Your actions are reflected in the actions of that character. Sure. I mean, I'm choosing when they swing a sword and like what answers they give to stuff. But I've never felt like I'm embodying them or that they are reflecting me particularly i got three choices of dialogue you know i'm i'm surprised that that this is a controversial statement yeah you're a real weirdo right now brandon like <laughs> people who play games inhabit the roles of the characters they play as otherwise no. they might as well just be pong paddle uh i don't think that that's true I, I, I don't know maybe we're talking about this in a different way i just don't i don't think you need to associate with a character in order to you're missing a big part of the intended relationship i mean what's a character creator for in a video game if not to create a an analog or a homunculus of yourself uh just to make something that looks interesting and weird that's what what i always do i just make the weirdest looking thing that i can make i just kind of hit randomizer or pick one yeah, of or the random. default ones really yeah, yeah. yeah oh i yeah. spent too much time yeah i know what about like those old sports games where you're literally supposed to take a picture of yourself and map it on to that player? Is that player not supposed to indicate you? Uh, of course that player is supposed to indicate you. Do, but am I supposed to pretend that I can play basketball? Yes, that's the point. I'm going to just attempt to actually answer the question since this has huh? just become ar argue with Brandon on <laughs> how he doesn't do video games correctly. I think anytime you enter an area that is incredibly i don't know i'm, I'm just going to give an example like xenoblade chronicles where it's like you enter an area and you're like oh my god this is a huge area and there's a lot going on and 
characters kind of also like, oh, holy shit, this is a huge area and I've never oh, yeah. seen anything like it. You're kind of sharing that moment at the same time where it's it's interesting to both you and the character. I see where you're going a little bit, Brandon. It's like I'm not feeling the character exactly. I'm more like empathizing with them and their story mm -hmm. rather than mm -hmm. like believing I am the character. It's a complicated concept. I can see it from that angle. Like you're your uh what you think winds up align aligning with what the character think at that time and i had one moment that i believe i've mentioned on the show in the past which was in uh in one of those horror games that they made back in the 360 era and i can't remember which one it was it wasn't condemned it was one of those other ones uh, i think it was fear fear or fear 2 yeah um and there was a bit where you could go into this place and there was all this like fine china and vases and other stuff under glass in in this house that you had to go through and it turned out you could smash it and i just smashed a whole bunch of it um because you could smash it and physics were a fun thing at that time and then i got to the next like checkpoint and whoever was was talking to my character in in his ear was like what took you so long what are you doing over there <laughs> and my character was like, oh, I was just smashing up a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is what I was doing. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think the classic example of that is Deus Ex, the original Deus Ex. Uh, in the, I guess, second level, you're in like the office building of, of the agency you work for or whatever. I don't really remember the lore. And you can walk into the women's restroom and a woman uh, screams that you're in the restroom. But then later on, when you go talk to your boss, uh, they chew you out for going into the women's restroom. And uh, in 1997 or whatever it was, I think that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah that's you actually good. feel like you're in a place that that uh, has consequences and has has things happen without you. All right. But if you played that game as a woman, many probably that probably felt a little weirdly disappointing. Well, except that you're 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 Denton. You're you're J.C. Denton. Frank, Frank, I thought we were I thought we were identifying as the character. <sighs> That's what I'm saying. Exactly. If, you, if you identify yeah. as a character, then. Yeah, but I thought the character nothing. is supposed to be us also. <laughs> I'm, calling, I'm calling time on this one. <laughs> all right. I don't know how familiar all of you are with podcasts as a medium and the trends therein, but I have observed that all of the most successful podcasts uh, tend to be true crime shows. So to capitalize on that, what are the most exciting crimes in video gaming? Dietrich. I don't know about exciting. It's like if you want to have a crime that compels people, you almost want to go like hyper specific and weird. Yeah. And uh, something that comes to mind for me because it got brought back up in uh, the Video Game History Foundation's Discord is that in 1990, uh, an entire shipload of... Uh, of DuckTales for the NES was stolen from the Oakland docks and never recovered. Wow. Where are the thousands of copies of DuckTales for the NES? In episode 39, we'll be interviewing the dockmaster who didn't work there at the time, but works there now. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's are, are you actually going to? No, 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 no. Just episode 39 of our true crime podcast about... Oh, oh. You know, well, well, it's. I guess maybe what I have in mind is the podcast that is uh, whatever happened to the pizza at McDonald's. Yeah, um, which is like mm -hmm. hundreds of episodes strong about nothing. So I think that's where I was maybe tapping into for episode thirty nine of whatever happened to the boat full of ducktails cartridges. Yeah. So it's just it's just this one crime that we're 
correct. Right. Uh, that podcast would be called There's a Stranger Out to Find You. <laughs> That's right. The d- d- danger. I mean, we've talked about this too many times on the show, so I'll very briefly just mention um, uh, Dietrich, the, the phantom, <laughs> phantom yeah. driver of the luxury car that the CEO of Gizmondo crashed and he, he, he blamed it on a, on a, on a German man. Who, who fled the scene. Mysterious but... Dietrich. I, I love that the news reports, you know, like had that name. Like right. the CEO guy was like, it wasn't me. It was Dietrich. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that made it to the report. So yeah, we all like, knew. Who is that? He's like, oh, he's my friend. I don't know his last name. He's gone now. I can't tell you where to find him. <laughs> You'll never find him. Yeah. <laughs> don't even try. Oh, God, I... In my at my death uh, at Game Developer Magazine, I had a um, a family circus comic photoshop. I forget if I photoshopped it or you did, Frank. I, I don't remember who did it either. Yeah, it was like Jeffy or whatever. Whatever. I think his name's Jeffy. One of those characters. There's a Jeffy in there. Yeah, the one, of, one of those kids has had like knocked over something, and I think there was like a, a, a weird hovering ghost there or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was not me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'd say not me, and uh, and we we did. Uh, it was Deidre. Yeah, it's Dietrich did it. Yeah. I, I want to know who stole Frank's stuff from the Acclaim auction. Oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I'm pretty sure I know who it is. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to make accusations on air or anything. We, we, but I'm pretty we sure. don't have to out them on, on this show, but on the true well, crime show. <laughs> yeah. In, in uh, 2004, I went to the Acclaim bankruptcy auction. I bought two lots of things they were selling furniture and desks and stuff like that but i bought two lots one of them was giant stacks of nr discs which are like the gamecube burnable development disc and the other lot was a vacuum cleaner and a large moving box full of eprom cartridges uh of with unknown games on them and uh they were stolen after i purchased them did the thief also steal the vacuum cleaner i don't know like, were they just like, here's your vacuum cleaner, Frank? I hope that they had to also take the vacuum cleaner. Okay. And I don't think they posed as me. It was someone who bought a lot of things otherwise and just took mine also. So, mm. yeah, whatever happened to uh, my review build of Mary-Kate and Ashley Mall Madness? Where did it go? Didn't you say there was also just like a shipping box full of the gray cart Rage Wars in there? Yeah, I didn't I didn't buy that. That was a separate lot. Yeah, I know. No, there, no, it was more than that. So... Yeah, Turok Rage War. Well, I, I don't know. You know better than me, maybe. I think that they had a replacement cartridge for Rage Wars because there was a crucial bug in the shipped version, right? Yes, you, you had to mail in to be like, hey, I bought a regular copy, and then they would just replace it for you. But So the only way to get that cartridge was to get a claim to mail it to you, so it's now one of the rarest N64 games. No, there was an entire room full of gray Turok <laughs> Rage Wars, like an actual room. With many boxes of that, and I didn't know it was special. I was just like, "Haha, they didn't sell enough of that game." <laughs> but no, those were customer service cartridges. Anyway, I think the the actual answer, which is not funny, is uh, choose one of the Eve Online capers and make a, a true crime mm. thing out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's got to already be a pod. Oh, I hope so. I would listen to that. Eve on crime. There's got to be. I forget we were talking about the podcast angle. And uh, I don't remember all the details, but maybe that'll make it more intriguing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Guy I know 
had all of his video games stolen and he couldn't figure out who it was though he had his suspicions and he wound up try, you know going around to all the local game shops trying to get them get the games back you know he figured that's where they would show up because yeah. whoever stole them you know trying to make money off it and then in the end it turned out to be like his brother-in-law who he was letting stay with him it's definitely something with an arc so i think it would go well for the true crime thing it's got an arc it's got a surprise reveal that's disappointing <laughs> to hear about like oh shouldn't have, shouldn't have gotten done that way i'm gonna extend this question okay i haven't done that in a while so i'm gonna i'm gonna claim it here Go for it. so kelsey and i just got back from another trip to chicago we were doing some uh archival stuff dumped a bunch of roms scanned a bunch of paper how do your arms feel uh oh i i see that was like a flying joke right? yeah, yeah, yeah but let's see I, I actually do have a shoulder injury so i was <laughs> about to answer that very seriously it's a yes it's well, thank better. you for asking Happy, thank you yeah. um the physical therapy is actually working pretty well thanks i'm glad to hear it something that comes up often when i'm in chicago um, among the three times I've, I've been there in recent years inevitably i hang out with someone who worked at electronic gaming monthly at least one person we try to figure out what happened to egm's stuff because egm sold the magazine like sendai Steve Harris sold EGM to Ziff Davis in 96. There was an office full of EEPROM carts, full of like art files, full of Ed Semrad's photographs from trade shows. What happened to that stuff? And whenever I have more than one EGM editor with me together, like it, it becomes like cross-referencing notes trying to figure out what happened to this stuff and we haven't found it yet. So is there someone somewhere who just cleaned out EGM? Is it all in the trash? We don't actually know. And I think that would be that's pretty fascinating. A really good long investigation for like a podcast format. And we can interrogate every EGM editor. Every one of them. Yeah. All of them. But actually, I we do want to get like a bunch of them in a room and just be like, okay, start talking about this. Yeah. Let's see what happens. Out. Get a bunch of them in a room and do a battle royale. See which one's the best. <laughs> uh, speaking of crimes. Uh, there is now a television series in development based on the Gamergate hate campaign. That is a crime. Uh, is there any conceivable way this is a good idea? Nope. No. No. <laughs> Next question. Nope. They haven't talked to Zoe Quinn. Yep. And she she's she's not involved. If they do it, I mean, she she said this on Twitter recently, but if, if they do it without talking about her, then it's pretty disingenuous. But if they do it while talking about her, it's without her consent. So, like, right off the bat, there's no way this is going to go well. And it's being helmed by someone who has pretty much made a career out of the fallout of Gamergate. Yeah, I, I can feel you really trying to navigate this language. And I, I, <laughs> I, I, was, yeah. I was also hurting with you. As <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's hard to talk about because it's, it's very complicated. But in some ways, some of the post-Gamergate stuff that has happened with some of these people has been like to confirm what those Gamergate people think about them. You know, it, I don't know how to describe it. Like, as far as I'm concerned, Zoe Quinn, Lee Alexander, people like that have the they have the authoritative voice on this subject. And you really can't talk about Gamergate without also talking about white supremacy and mm -hmm. capitalism and just all the stuff that is embroiled in making this happen. It seems very likely that this show is just going to focus exclusively on misogyny, which is a big part of it. But it's it's just it's a really complicated thing. And let's be clear, dear listeners, this is a, a fictionalized show. This is right. this is Gamergate fan fiction uh, as a TV show. Um, it is 
going to be a disaster. It is going is to the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it is from from the stuff I've seen. It's it's like from the perspective of someone who is victimized by you know online forums and belief systems, and like you really learn to empathize with them and see how they could go down this dark path and end up you know storming the capital or whatever. Uh, like that is the premise of the show. There is no way that this is done uh, tastefully. Uh, there's no way that this is done in a way that anyone is going to like. The Gamergate fringe weirdos who are still online are just going to like make fun of this online and and boost their garbage, and and everyone else is either going to ignore it or also hate it. And so the, this is not going to contribute anything uh, to bettering society in any way. It's just going to be like TV people slime balls like patting themselves on the back that they did a good thing and it's just gonna end up having a negative effect on everything and uh this is absolute trash and i hope it never enters full production yeah, yeah. i'm hoping the same thing happens to this has happened to that like charity reality show where people were like oh, competing for formally charity. oh is it gone is that gone uh, they turned it into something else that it's not a competition. Oh, thank God. That's okay. good. <laughs> That's good. Man, it's it's just like these people come up with these ideas and they're like, this is great. We're going to do it. And then the reaction comes and they're like, what? People don't like this? <laughs> <laughs> like, Did you think about it for five seconds? No, you did not. Yeah, I'm hoping it doesn't happen. Bad news. Uh, yeah. This is probably the worst show you could make about. Yeah. I don't know. What's a worst show you could make about video games? Mm, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the most popular TV show of all time. Not about video games. They just they just occasionally mention a video game to yeah. say that we are nerds. They, it's yeah. not a video game show. Frank and Simon Carlos and I used to host a game dev meetup in the East Bay in a, at a place called Ye Old Hut, which no longer mm -hmm. is itself. So they at some point started noticing that you know on every other Thursday or whenever we did it, a whole bunch of nerds would show up. And there'd be like 15 of us all getting on all the tables. And at some point they started when we came in switching the TV from sports to Big Bang Theory. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> For real? For real. And uh, none of us oh, ever mentioned it to them. Like your grandmother's birthday present. Yes, ah. exactly. <laughs> it was like, oh, the sentiment is sweet. but A richness of embarrassments, not an embarrassment yeah. of riches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank, is that the place that... I went to with you oh, and Simon. Oh, absolutely not. No. Oh, okay. I don't remember going somewhere with you and Simon, honestly. It was, but... it was for a game dev meetup thing. Oh, uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, this was where we used to do it, and then uh, there's new owners now, so it's not as divey as it used to be, so we stopped going. Yeah. Okay, well, whatever the dive was that I went to with you and Simon was cool because the guy looked at my ID and was like, wait a sec, that's where I lived in Seattle when I lived in hey. Seattle. And that's why that bar's good. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Small world. I'm looking at the schedule, and it's time for us to return to Violence Island. Oh, good. I thought you were going to say. No, we've done too much of that. We're giving that a rest. But this is our monthly-ish segment where we take who would win in a fight scenarios proposed by our uh, listeners at forums.insertcredit.com and pitch them against each other until we have one winner. Uh, so the preliminaries kind of make a sort of sense usually, 
and then it gets weirder as we go on. Um, one of the rules is that we don't accept Shadow the Hedgehog anymore. Yeah, Shadow's Shadow Band. Uh, Shadow with Shadow Band. Here we go. Uh, uh, just to be clear to Kels for Kelsey, uh, Shadow always wins. Yeah. Because he's got... He's just too powerful. Gun. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I kind of figured. Right. Um, I figured that was intuitive. Our first match is the Guitar Hero from Guitar Hero versus the Rock Band from Rock Band. <laughs> Power and numbers. That's four on one. Yeah. 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 Easily Rock Band. Yeah. Yep. But doesn't the Guitar Hero have star power? Doesn't the Rock Band have something in star yeah, power? Yeah, Rock Band, band has, like, they have like audience yeah. some participation. That's even bigger. Though. I would like to argue that the Guitar Hero did fight the devil. And the Guitar Hero is a hero, whereas the Rock Band is just a band. Right. But I still think... There's still four of them. Yeah, there's still four. Yeah. It might be a contest. I think we're voting Rock Band on this. But we're voting yeah. Rock Band. Four average humans is what yeah. we're calling Rock Band. Four right average now. humans could beat the devil more so than one person could beat the devil. Sure. Uh, yeah. Gomez from Fez versus Tim from Braid. I haven't played Fez, but I've seen a lot. So really his deal is like rotating the perspective, right? He can rotate yeah. the perspective and uh, Captain Braid can reverse time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mario from the future. Yeah, future Mario. It will be me. Yeah, Braid is like, you know, he can use like TAS strategies on yeah. Fez guy. I forgot his name. Gomez. Gomez, thank you. Braid guy is only on one plane. And so Gomez could mm. just like go to a different dimension. Yeah, this basically. is your classic space versus time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if he can rotate him exactly 90 degrees on the 3D axis, whatever you, you call that, so that he's just now a straight line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, does yeah. he, but if he still has his time powers, I mean, like, we can weaken him, but I don't think we can beat him. I think we might be able to because I don't believe that Braid Man can see us when we're in another plane. Right. Right? Because mm. he can only see straight forward. He can't see to the side where we are. I mean, if we're Gomez. Wait, Brandon, did I just catch you inserting yourself into a video game character? Yeah, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> because I think if Braid Guy, what's Braid Guy's name? You say Tim? Tim. Okay. Um, even if Tim from Braid can rewind time, if he doesn't know where Gomez is. Can he just rewind time to a time before Gomez exists? He can only rewind to the start of the encounter. Start of the Yeah, that's right. Start of the level. Yeah, but mm. he can also, every time that Gomez hits him, he can rewind and adjust. That's true. Yeah. You get some frames post-death to rewind. And just wait for Gomez to tire himself out. Yeah. Well, also, I don't think Gomez knows that time's been rewound. No, he does not. So Gomez is doing the exact same strategy. So no, it's Tim. Okay, Tim from yeah. Braid it is. Well, it, to me, it seems like a stalemate, but no. I guess that doesn't... Okay. Well, what's your right. argument against what I just said then? If it's getting rewound and neither of them are getting tired, then it, they're going to keep doing the same thing. No, no, no. Because Tim can alter his strategy after rewinding because yeah. he retains knowledge of what happened last time. Right. Whereas the things that he rewinds do not. They continue on the same path. So Gomez is doing the exact same attack. This time it's not going to work. Yeah, he's going to uh, Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. Thing. All right, I guess I guess I see it. I was thinking that um, you know that Gomez would adjust, but he can only adjust so many times. Or right. Well, he also doesn't know Wait. to adjust. He is like doing the same attack because he thinks it's going to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you just have to memorize like the entire pattern encounter, right? So yeah. it's yep. like okay, he throws a punch this time, and then block it here. Then he's going to do this move. Okay. Well, I know that move is coming. It's, yeah, but the problem a... with that is Gomez is not an, an AI. He's going to react to what the current situation is. So whenever Tim does something, Gomez is going to do something to 
react to that. He's not just going to yeah, be like... Yeah, but he can learn that every time until he's beaten. Yeah, he's going to learn yeah. what Gomez's reactions are going to be. Right. I, I agree with that. I just don't agree that Gomez is going to do the same thing every time. So you think he retains knowledge of time? It's not It's not that he retains knowledge no, of time. It's like He can react differently to the different moves Tim does in each iteration yeah, of that's what uh, I mean. It's time. like Tim Tim is over here now, and so he's going to react over here. He's not going to do... But repeating his... it over and over, Tim is eventually going to learn so much of yes. Gomez's behaviors. That yes, and I agree with that. Okay. Okay. It's so Tim wins, but it's a more complicated fight than we first. Yeah. Our next battle is Leisure Suit Larry Laffer versus Kratos from God of War. <laughs> really? Yeah. What? What's the argument here? Yeah, that... I mean, Kratos. Uh, Kratos Leisure meant... Suit Larry has quick save, much like Tim. <laughs> 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 it is okay. Uh, let's be serious about what I just said. In the original Leisure Suit Larry, uh, Leisure Suit Larry in the land of the lounge lizards, it is assumed in the game design that you will save and load at the casino slot machines in order to win money. Mm. It, that is part of the game design that you abuse save state. So I think it's fair to say that Leisure Suit Larry controls time you in, know? in a different way than Tim. Yeah, because uh, he can't rewind frame by frame. He has to set a save point. That said, uh, Kratos is gonna kill him. Even yeah, even but, if yeah, he I don't think the they can out strategy, out strategize yeah. Kratos. Like that's not that's not yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, he's just setting himself up to die infinity times. <laughs> yeah. I'm just setting Larry Laffer up for a potential future violence island where we have something interesting to use with. Them. Yeah, he's got something to him, but not here. Yeah, him versus Normie's beach babarama. <laughs> Yeah, if you'd gone up against the rock band, I mean, yeah, we've got an argument there. Yeah, I think Larry could have beaten the rock band. Uh, just a case of bad seeding that he doesn't go on to the center. Yeah. Our final match in this preliminary round is the Prince from Katamari Damashi versus Axel from Twisted Metal. Which one's Axel? He's the one yeah. with like big wheels attached to his hands and feet. Oh, he's he's the car that's the man. Yeah, he's the man car. I mean, up. I don't think the prince has any like special powers, really. Like, well, he has the katamari. Yeah, he does have the katamari. Does he? Is that part of it? You gotta give him the katamari. That would be like not giving Axel his big wheel. Okay, so then he has to come like ready for this fight yeah, with how much enough time stuff picked up, <laughs> yeah. so that he can roll up Axel. Because that's the only way he would win is if he's able to roll up Axel. But he can't like with just a normal katamari. He would need to start with like yeah, it wouldn't be big you know enough. the erasers and thumbtacks and stuff. So like, does he have time to gather all of that? Can he show up to this fight prepared? Yeah, he needs at least five minutes. Right, or is the environment such that he starts as a mouse, but, like, Axel can't find him, you know? Well, the environment of Violence Island is an island. Okay. I don't think there's enough stuff on this island, yeah. then. I don't know, you can you can get the clouds in the last stage of Pebble. Once you get big enough, though, but, like... I'm just saying yeah. that's an island. Yeah, so, like, okay, you gotta start with pebbles. Yeah, you gotta, pebbles. You gotta start with, like, pebbles. You can maybe eventually Crabs, move up to, like, coconuts. coconuts. Yeah. Yeah. But like then it starts getting tricky because what's the in between from coconut to like tree. human or tree or yeah. actually um... I have another angle on this which is that the prince doesn't die he just uh, right. loses too much stuff on his katamari and his dad gets disappointed so I feel like given enough 
time. Even if he's getting run over sometimes, he's just going to lose some stuff off his Katamari and he will get bigger. He will get big enough. By I that don't... logic, I don't think Axel dies either. I think. I don't think he... the rock band dies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just lose, you know, the audience just boos him or whatever. I mean, at some point, Axel could just stay parked on top of the prince and that would just be a victory by default. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, the prince would is only able to win if he's got like a bunch of if he's got the right environment for it and time. And I don't think he has. He that needs here. both of those things, and I don't think he has those. He also doesn't have missiles. Which, yeah, which Axel he does has. not have missiles. <laughs> yeah, and every missile is going to take the things missile. off the Katamari. You know, yep. like every time yep. he gets hit. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably Axel. Axel's our winner. Uh, time for the our semifinals. Uh, the Rock Band from Rock Band versus Tim from Braid. Oh, see, okay, this is the the situation Kelsey said basically. Yeah. Larry Larry Laffer versus the Rock. Yeah, Band. Yeah, Larry wins. Um, there's not a lot of situations in Braid where you're dealing with more than maybe two enemies as a puzzle. Even so, the rewinding is very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he would have to like be a strong enough person, even after all of the memorization, to be able to take down four people. Well, I think. I think Tim insta kills if he jumps on a head. Right. He, mm, okay. he has very good jumping ability. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it goes to Tim. And then. since the rock band all kind of stands next to each other while they play, you could rack up that uh, multi jump. Yeah, I could get a four peat there. Mm. Yeah. I don't know that they'll even be expecting that they just perish as soon as someone jumps on their head. Too. Right. Like, I think that will throw them off. Like, the last guy they fought was a normal guy, the guitar hero. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think they're expecting that someone can just instantly murder them just by jumping on their head. They're new to Violence Island. They don't know about <laughs> magical properties. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, okay. That said, how how can Tim lose? I think we need to figure that out because he can rewind forever. If he can't get he to stuck. like a vantage point where he can get four of them before they... Well, he can always rewind. There's no actual like killing Tim. Okay. Well, we saw how Tim could lose in the same way that we saw Larry lose. If he's up against an opponent who in no conceivable scenario he could ever be. Oh, sure. I guess that's true. Because in my mind, it was like Kratos is so aggressive that eventually Larry's going to do a bad save state where he dies every time. Mm. That was my thought there. So with this one, though, Tim can always rewind back to the start of the fight, which was our established rule. Right. So how does Tim become defeated even theoretically? Uh, I think it has to be he gives up because there's no conceivable way to win, right? right? Yeah, in the game, it's user error. He'd have to be killed so fast yeah. that he can't but we're sk- rewind. we're skipping ahead. Tim versus Kratos hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Also, Tim can rewind after death. Uh, yeah, he can rewind a few mm. friends after death. That's true. Eventually, he's got to stop playing. And uh, that's really the defeat. So, okay. So your answer is, I don't know. Eventually, he has to stop, right? Yeah. <laughs> because if Tim's actions are controlled by we... you, the player, there is a certain point where you get to an unwinnable scenario and you give up. Okay. So the answer is an unwinnable scenario can be created no matter how many times he rewinds. Right. Okay. Yeah. Our next semifinal match is Kratos versus Axel. Can Kratos beat up a car man? Yeah. Yeah. He's... Yeah. Yeah. I think of Kratos war. could take on almost anyone from Twisted Metal. <laughs> Shadow hasn't been in a Twisted Metal game yet. Oh, you're right. You're right. Like that clown? No I'd clown. like to see Kratos beat Calypso's ass. That would be fun. Our, our final match is uh, Captain Braid versus Kratos. Oh, man. So this is, the, this is where the unwinnable scenario comes. I think... I, I think Kratos un- still wins. Unless, unless we think that he can get on top of 
Kratos's head. Hmm. If that's all it can. takes. I mean, because like, yeah, okay, if that's all it takes. Kratos is swinging his like chain blades. Yeah. Uh, I think the chains, uh, by video game logic, you can just kind of like walk through the chains, right? Like you can phase through them. Are we in agreement on that? I don't think so because, as far as I understand, Kratos's chains, like they were designed to hit anything within their sphere. Okay. The design of the chains was so that you wouldn't have to, it, it's to replace like the uh, pixel perfect attacks of 2D games. Instead, you right. had kind of like timing based attacks that encompass the whole area. So I would say they hit anything within their circumference. Which would include directly above. Yeah. It. I think what Tim would have to do is he'd have to like distract and make Kratos like do his chains sideways, like not above him, you know, just make it so that he's not expecting anything above him and jump on top of his head before he's got two chains. That can happen. He's got two chains. Yeah, but once he starts the attack, he has to complete the animation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would argue that a jump on the head does not necessarily represent an instant death, but one unit of damage. I disagree. No, there is no... Since, since when? There's no scenario in Braid where a jump on the head is not instant death. Tim is an analog of Mario in the Mario games, and there are enemies in the Mario games that it takes more than one jump to kill. Also, I don't know why we're sticking to the uh, constraints of Braid rather than God of War, because Kratos never dies one. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, like, in his world, he takes damage. So, yeah. Like, how? why does Tim's one-hit kill override? And is there any insta-kill? at all in God of War. There's probably is. Are there like enemies that are so. so much stronger than you that you could die in one hit conceivably? I think that the bottom of Tim's shoes are an out of bounds and you die instantly if you're out of bounds. Actual gods do not kill Kratos in one hit. Why are Tim's shoes more powerful? Because they're out of bounds. Because that's yeah, just I don't agree. the rules of that game. Even falling off of something, Kratos will just get respawned where he's yeah. fell from. Like, he doesn't get insta-killed. Okay, so if he gets hit, he, like, stumbles, right? Like, he, yeah. he can't immediately stab or whatever. So I still feel like the Tim's still in the game here. Yeah. I mean, the problem is time rewinding. No, if, if he really can't good. be insta-killed, Tim is not in the game. What are you talking about? He, if he, 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 he rewinds enough to jump on his head, makes him stumble, and then, like, plans his next move with his time, right? So... He could probably get in a pretty good loop of being able to bop him on the head. Oh, I still think Kratos wins, but I'm not, <laughs> I don't can think Kratos it's easy. not like use his arms while anytime we agreed he's... that if he gets bopped on the head, he he's there's in, like, some a sort of knockback or stumble. Or yeah, okay. he yeah. takes damage at least if he gets. Yeah, and he can't sure. continue swinging as he takes damage. That's true. So as long as he's taking like really tiny jumps, like just very controlled, precise, calculated jumps on top of Kratos's head. Yeah, this is the most difficult boss fight in the Braid <laughs> franchise. <laughs> he might be able to uh, get him in a stun lock. Yeah, know? I think rewinding is really hard to beat. I still think Kratos wins. I, I agree. I, I'm yeah. unfortunately not sure. <laughs> okay. I, okay, so Kratos wins because like that sounds so difficult that eventually Braid guy just gives up. Yeah. <laughs> We've established that he gives up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I would rather just die than be in this infinite loop of trying to figure out how to beat the god of war. <laughs> That's what he is. It's in the title. Uh, Kratos is our winner. And I think this means that Kratos can't be in any more violent silence. If you win a game, then you're permanently retired. Okay. That's the new rule. So our new shadow ban list is Shadow the Hedgehog, 
in Kratos. And we'll revisit this in another month. It's time for a lightning round. Uh, this is a game that I like to call Who Is This For? In this game, I name a video game series or a specific game, and you have to describe to me the type of person who would consider it their favorite of all time. Right. Are we all clear on the premise? Sounds good, Jaffe. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> I understand. Do we have any questions? No. no. Good. Okay. Then here we go. Uh, who is this for? Number one, Soul Calibur. Uh, Dreamcast fans in 1999. Mm -hmm. People who really <laughs> want to like fighting games. Mm, yeah. People like who shop at that store in the mall that's just really expensive tech. <laughs> yeah. Resistance, Fall of Man. Oh, uh, you want to play Halo, but you got a PlayStation 3. Yep. Uh, it's it's a like $2 game at my store, so I'm just going to say people on a budget who just bought a PS3. That's yeah. Good. Dragon Pretty Ball Xenoverse. Weebs. Yeah, weebs. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Big time nerd. Have you seen that guy? <laughs> there was this TikTok of this lady videoing her dad showing off his his little um, uh, Goku shrine, and he's got like mm -hmm. next to the Toto Santos candles and stuff. And it's like it's it's like on the shrine with his wife's like religious stuff, but he's got his little Goku there. It's really super that's, cute. That's very cute. That's actually. Super cute. It's very like heartwarming. That. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, amnesia. Le uh, let's say like edgy horror team. I forget. <laughs> Wahoo! <laughs> Wahoo! Uh, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. Mm, um, God, that's for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it? Is it that it's their favorite game? Is yeah, that... their favorite game. Oh, uh, people who like want to have a safe opinion that's not the correct opinion about what's the best Super Mario game. Oh. People who were exactly 12 when that game came out. See, this is the thing I keep wanting. Like, for every one of these, I'm like someone who was 14 when this came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you have to tell me something specific about them. Yeah. No, I think. I think, I think that one's good. Our next game is A Hat in Time. Uh, I don't remember what that is. People who were 12 when Mario 64 came out. <laughs> Hat in Time is a kickstarted game about a little magician and it's inspired by n64 platform games like yeah. so it's, uh, Mario it's like 64. another ukulele and there's there's a bunch of it's, it's the better one that came out way before right okay. um and it's more mario 64 than than banjo yeah so right you said people who were 14 when we're they're like 40 year olds yeah but also i mean the, now. a lot of people play that a lot, a lot of the young folks play that at the gdq and such so you know what speedrunners that's a speedrun game oh that, yeah, that's go. good hey. yeah that's good alan wake um, the first one now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Surely that person must exist. People on an extreme budget at Pink Gorilla who got a three That one's like $10. Really? Okay. All right. I was going to say <laughs> it's, I think. it's specifically for uh, the people that were working on the remake. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they had to play the original. This is not, I mean, this is not a slam on that game. It's just like, why would you go back to that yeah. one? That's... <laughs> uh, Sakura Tyson. Weebs. Yeah, also weebs. Yeah, it's, there are uh, that... specific subclasses of weeb. Okay, that one's for it's for Persona, uh, who we've had on the show before, Jonathan Kim. Yeah, um, it's for the type of nerd that likes a dating sim but wants some extra stuff in there, but also wants something like some aspect that they can obsess about and dive really, really deep into. Well, and also like most of the Sakura Tysons have not come to the states, like True. almost none of them. I think is it just the last one? 
It did, literally? Like, the PS4 uh, one? No, 5 also did. Okay. Oh, right, right, yeah, that's right, I, I have that one. It's also on Wii. Right. Yeah, so I think it's like, if you... It's for weebs, but like, who are also pretty savvy, and like, understand how fan translations work, where to find them, and that sort of thing. High-minded weebs. Yeah. Star Ocean. Star Ocean, that's for uh, Christian Nett. <laughs> um, friend, friend of the show, Christian Net. He likes that game. It's for uh, people who want a faster Valkyrie. I was just gonna say Tales games in space, but yeah, it is for uh, people who just bought uh, one of the better Super Nintendo flash carts and want to load up one of the ones that's harder to do. Mm. Oh, it's very specific. I like it. Points for specificity. Uh, but our final game here is Words with Friends. It's for my mom. She loves it. Yeah, for Brandon's yeah. mom. Yeah. For Brandon's mom, exactly. 100% is for my mom. Congratulations, Brandon. You have won this week's episode of Insert Credit. <laughs> nice. You get to come up with a question next week, and you get to recommend stuff to our listeners to do before that episode comes out, which is something you would have gotten to do anyway, and that everyone else is going to get to do here as well. But uh, you might as well go first. I might as well. Uh, let's see. I got my little list of, I have a little list on my phone of recommendations. Here's the first one. I recommend that uh, you get the Canopy service. Canopy with a K. Ooh, good one. On your streaming device. I just finally actually got to it because I apparently it didn't. It didn't work on PlayStation 4 for a long time. I and mean, probably still doesn't. But uh, I then I realized I have a Roku. And so uh, Canopy is the streaming service of the American Public Library. So if you have a library card, you can get a Canopy account and you can watch 10 movies or episodes of tv series per month for free you're essentially like checking it out for three days three days to finish watching and they have a lot of stuff that other services don't have they also have a lot of criterion stuff surprising for the library to me but although it, i guess this is kind of what libraries are like it, they've got a really good mix of like high concept fancy good films and just total trash garbage uh which i like to watch mm -hmm. so there's there's like a lot of good horror movies on there as well as seven samurai or whatever get canopy support your dang library uh get a library card rules so that's one. Oh, i was gonna say adding to that hoopla is the uh similar app for uh reading stuff on your reading right. stuff device also libby depending on which library you're involved that's true Nice. I'm also going to recommend the one Jun Chikuma album that is out called Les Archives. She is the composer of Bomberman, Legendary Axe, a bunch of cool stuff. And she was like experimenting with weirdo techno stuff. And this album originally came out in 1985 and got re-released ago and is still in print. For whatever reason, it's, it's not one of those things that immediately sold out. Um, it's really good and interesting and you can totally hear like somehow Bomberman's music. It feels to me like one of those things that just always existed. It, it feels like music that existed before time somehow. Like it's hard to imagine a world without that kind of catchy earwormy Bomberman stuff going on. But when you listen to this album of her original compositions, you can tell, you know, how she got onto this path of creating this earworm kind of music. And now she she's like a master I, I think i mentioned this in an episode with vince she's a master of the afghan flute that i'm forgetting the name of. oh the nay pretty cool interesting lady so i recommend that album give it a look okay i'm done yay uh, i'll go i am playing and having a nice time with a game called uh fist has a really weird subtitle hang on or twist forged in shadow torch forged in shadow torch. <laughs> forged in shadow torch. 
Fist Forged in Shadow Torch. It is a, uh, there's no better word. It's a Metroidvania made in China that's uh, starring uh, furry critters, but it's it's an Unreal Engine 2D Metroidvania that uh, feels real good to play. And uh, I enjoy keeping the Chinese voice acting on with the English subtitles. I don't often, perhaps I've never actually played a game with the Chinese voice acting. So that's been uh, fun for me. Maybe two and a half hours in, something like that. It's just a really solid game in that genre. And you know if you like that genre. And uh, if, if you're one of them, uh, this is out for you right now. And it's, uh, it's, it's brand new and it's cool. Oh, nice. It's also on consoles as well. As- yeah, PS4, uh, I believe. Yeah. PS4 and 5, it looks like. Uh, that's it for me. Okay, cool. Um, I forgot about this segment of the show, so I wasn't prepared, but that's okay. I thought of something. There is a really nice episode um, of the podcast, The Life and Times of Video Games, about Moby Games, which is a fantastic resource that I think a lot of people use and don't see a lot of like research and history and interviews into things that are like still feel fairly modern to me like that. So that was a very nice episode that I think people should check out. I actually do have some recommendations this week. I uh, watched every episode of Squid Game in one day, so I have to recommend Squid Game. It's basically like what if uh, Battle Royale or The Hunger Games was about adults with crushing debt. Uh, If you have seen that, I would recommend the anime Kaiji Ultimate Survivor, which aired for two seasons from 2007 to 2008, which has a similar premise. And uh, you could just go look that up and watch more of it right now, and it's fantastic. The entire second season is about trying to beat an impossible pachinko machine. I would also like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to a review podcast, that you do that for us. Uh, you could also go to patreon.com slash insert credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own topics, get our regular episodes one day early. Oh, one day early. My, my mistake. <laughs> one day early. And even access monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. You can join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Brandon is at Necrosofty. Frank is at Frank Cifaldi. And Kelsey is at Kels Lewin. The show is edited by Esper Quinn <laughs> with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. Frank Cifaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Kelsey Lewin. And you have now completed the episode. Congratulations. Was Isolated Warrior the name of a game in the United States? Yes. Yeah. It's a weird name yeah. when you think about it. Uh, it's pretty cool. I think you'd like that game. Actually, you should look it up right now. I like games that I like. Yeah, go 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 check it out. It's uh, Ira Iram, I think. Oh, I probably will. Is it? I like me some Iram. Oh, it's not Iram at all. I don't know. Developed by Kid. Oh, well, kids. But uh, yeah, I mean, just look at them screenshots. You like isometric? Oh, maybe that's uh, they they meant isometric warrior. Mm. <laughs>